0: Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Who do
1: you admire most?
0: Before I knew the
1: Lord, I, I always looked up to people who would put themselves in harm's way for my safety. And I respect people like that. So my deepest admiration goes to the one who put himself in harm's way on a cross, paid for my sin, and doesn't ever forsake me. He's my shepherd. He guides me. We see this in Exodus, that although the people complained like there's no tomorrow, and Moses like had the worst congregants ever created, I don't know about that, but Moses kept faithful, and God is always faithful, and God is leading us on our journey, and we should remain faithful in following his lead in our life. Imagine if you lived in a kingdom where you're enslaved to a king of a depraved kingdom. You're imprisoned with a life sentence, no parole, no way out. Well, that's Israel. They were enslaved and imprisoned to a cruel Egyptian king who dehumanized them and made them slaves. Then Yahweh shows up and rescues them so that they can come into this kingdom and serve him. So in other words, they're rehumanized. God created us in his image as human beings, but yet we feel dehumanized many times. But Jesus comes and he rehumanizes us. So put yourself in Israel's place. Imagine being enslaved to a king of a depraved kingdom, imprisoned for life, no parole, no way out. This king is cruel. He dehumanizes you. He tells you all kinds of lies. And then Jesus Christ comes and rescues you out of that dark kingdom and rehumanizes you and puts you in the kingdom of light. Does that sound familiar? Because otherwise we'd be in a death sentence, in the kingdom of hell kingdom of darkness. You know, one day, all the scales are going to be set right. Every evil, every bad thing that has ever happened to anybody, unless that person comes into the light and the faith in Christ, God will deal severely with that. But right now, we have a job to do. We need to follow the light, follow the cloud, God's presence in our life. You know, sadly, I... And this was me. And I think if we all admit it, if we're honest, I think we, as the Bible says, we go from glory to glory. So I think over time we become more aware of what happened to us in Christ. But I don't think many believers, either they don't know or they don't believe that they're a new creation. And they still live in the dark. I don't want that to be for us. You know, as I've been thinking about my purpose on this earth You know, when I say make me your voice, I always felt like I wanted to tell the truth. And I didn't know the truth for a long time. But once I found out the truth, I don't want to ever stop telling the truth. Because people need to hear the truth. And the truth is good. And the truth is healing. The truth is this. We no longer live in a dark, depraved kingdom. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of light. First John 1 John 1.7, read it with me. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. And 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, read it with me. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night of the darkness. So either God is right or your feelings are right. When Yahweh looks at you, He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. You are in the light. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized or united into Christ, you have put on Christ. You wear new clothes. God doesn't see you in those filthy rags. What did God call the sons of Israel to be? A kingdom of what? Priests. What are we? A kingdom of priests. We are also sons of God through Christ. We have not only been born again and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we have been adopted as sons with all the inheritance as ours. These are all the things that have happened to us. So we don't have to walk in fear anymore. Even though God is a holy God and in our flesh, we would be singed. We can approach him. In faith, we're no longer of that flesh. In fact, the Bible says, What we have been crucified with Christ, we have died. Our flesh is dead, our spirit is alive in Christ. So, just like the tabernacle, God dwells in the believer. We started this whole series with the God who remembers what did He remember? His people, His covenant. And then we talked about the God who reveals. What did He reveal to Moses? His name, which is what? Yahweh, which means what? I am. And then the God who rescued. He rescued His people. And the God who responds. Remember, they're like two days, three days out in the wilderness, and they're already complaining. And God met their need, because He's a patient God. And the God who rules. He gives us commandments. He gives us precepts. And the God who remains by His presence in the tabernacle. And the God who reprimands, He disciplines His people. The God who restores, He offers love and compassion to the broken. Last week we talked about the God who releases, releases us to serve the King and His sovereignty. We don't have to serve that King of darkness anymore. We serve the king of light. And then today, we're going to end Exodus with the God who is revered, the most deeply and admired person to live and to be glorious beyond what we can even imagine. So Exodus ends the way it begins. God reveals himself as Yahweh to Moses through a burning bush, and he leads them through the wilderness, fire by night, cloud by day. And then chapter 40, God shows up, big time. It's the biggest mic drop ever. So in part six, when we talked about the God who remains, I showed you how the tabernacle was a picture of Christ. Today, I want to show you how the tabernacle is a picture of Christ in you. So we're going to talk about God's presence. And I can only enter God's presence because I am holy. Unholy people can't enter God's presence. You know that? So, do you see yourself as holy? You better. Because the Bible says you are. In fact, it says, read this Hebrews 10 10 with me. Just the first part. We have been what? Made holy. Does God make mistakes? So, we have been made holy or sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's a one-time payment for all time. So, how am I holy? What happened to me? Well, let's look at God's house, the portable tabernacle, as we're going to go through chapter 40 of Exodus. And first, I'm holy because I have a testimony. I have a testimony. The Ark of the Covenant was also known as the Ark of the Testimony, and an Ark being a chest. So it was a chest of God's testimony through Israel. So look at Exodus 40, verse 20. So we're coming to the very end where Moses is fine-tuning the temple, the tabernacle for God. So he gets to verse 20, and it says, Then Moses took the testimony and put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. So the tabernacle was members made out of outer courts and inner courts, and there was a veil that separated people from the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. And what was in there? The Ark of the Covenant. It was a chest, a case, and on top, the two cherubim represent the mercy seat. It has to be mercy for God to offer us to be in his presence. And the poles, why were they there? They had to carry it. It's adorned in gold. What was inside? What was one of the things? Aaron's rod, what else? Ten Commandments and what else? And manna manna all those things represented god's testimony in the life of israel god's testimony was represented by what was in the ark and the ark represented god's presence and it was separated by a thick veil but here's the thing the testimony of god didn't just live in the Ark of the Covenant, the testimony of God lives in you. Look at First John 5:10. It says, "The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. You have the testimony of God inside of you. You know that? As the ark of the testimony was portable, you are portable. You don't have poles, you have legs, and you walk. That's why there's a lot of commands in the Bible that start with go, right? Go do this. Go say that. Go preach this, right? Go tell them. Why? Because the testimony needs to travel to people who need to hear about the grace of God. That's what sharing the gospel is all about. You know, Luke chapter 21 deals with the end of this age just before Jesus comes back to reign as king. And Jesus tells his disciples something very important that we all need to understand. He says, you will have to endure intense persecution and be imprisoned and falsely accused and mocked all because of your faith in me, Jesus says. Everything that happens to believers, good and bad, and bad, what I mean is it ends up good, but it doesn't feel good being mocked do you feel good being mocked do you feel good like people saying "Oh, that you know that christianity is for dumb people you know or whatever they say but why is that happening because it's all according to script in fact if you're not being persecuted maybe you're not walking the testimony maybe you're just sitting there hoping everyone likes you they're not gonna all like you i'm telling you that right now in fact They're going to hate you. Jesus said they will hate you because they hate me. Do you know this? But what does Jesus say in Luke 21 that's so important? He said all that persecution is for a purpose, that it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. But here's the thing. You can't shrink back from it. You have to rise up into it. You have to stand for your faith. And you have to speak the truth, even if they reject you. So I don't think we should think of persecution as a bad thing. I think actually when we're being persecuted for our faith, it shows that we're sharing our testimony and the world is rejecting the testimony of God in you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God in you. Do you agree with me that there's a battle between good and evil light and dark isn't it extremely obvious well it's all going according to script but we have the testimony of god inside of us and we need to share it where we are and where god has us the book of revelation shares intense persecution for believers who are on this earth during the great tribulation and many of them will persevere and make it through how they triumphed over him satan by the blood of the Lamb, and by what? The word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So that's why when Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? Do you know that Israel protected the ark of the testimony like nothing else? Do you know that when the Philistines stole the ark of the covenant from the temple Israel mourned and grieved and they didn't rejoice again till they got it back. Well, here's the thing. You need to protect your testimony like nothing else. Persevere. Don't shrink. Share what's inside of you. So what else happened to me when I was made holy? I'm invited to the table. Imagine being invited to To someone's house and to have dinner who's the most important person in the world. Whoever that is, Jesus is way more important than that person. So let's look at verses 21 through 22. So after he brings the ark of the testimony, he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he put the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. What's the table? It's known as the table of showbread or the table of presents. What was on the table? Bread. Twelve loaves. Why twelve loaves? The twelve tribes. It was a family thing. So when we have Lord's Supper together, it's a family thing. It's all about families getting together. And God's presence in and through those people and those families. And God was very precise and said, there always needs to be bread on the table because it represents my presence and my sustenance. In the holidays, a lot of people go home to certain places where they grew up or they go to their family. What is it that reminds you of home the most? For me, it's food. I grew up in a home that had too much food. Food was everywhere. Even to this day, I go to my mom's house, it's like food. Why is there so much food all over the place? But that's what reminds me of growing up. And so having food on the table, that's like a home thing, right? It also reminds us of our home with Jesus. In Revelation 19, it says, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Those who are married to Jesus. How do you get married to Jesus. You believe in him. You become the bride of Christ. That's one of the terms for the church. And he said to me, these are true words of God. So one day we get to have a marriage supper and a party in heaven like no other party you've ever attended. Next, I eat from the bread of life. I'm holy. I can eat from that bread because food on the table doesn't do much unless you eat it, right? So verse 23, he set the arrangement of bread and order on it before the Lord, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now notice how many times it's going to say, just as the Lord commanded Moses, just as the Lord commanded, in fact, all through Exodus, just as the Lord commanded Moses. God is very precise, right? And one of the things that we're going to see is that Moses was following the instructions. You know, when you get an instruction manual, how many people follow that? Some, and that's good. I mean, you should follow the instructions. Otherwise, you'd leave parts out of it. And you go, why isn't this working? Oh, I was supposed to put that in before I put that in. Well, Moses is trying to be very precise. And remember, he's putting the final touches on the tabernacle before God would show up. Now, this is why it's so important to have that same approach with God's house. I mean that personally. And I mean that corporately. So when we get together, we're preparing God's house for his presence. I say this and I mean it. We should never give God leftovers, right? Just throw some. I hear God's good enough for God. But when I go to work, if I don't do it right, I get fired. But it's just church. You know, just just throw it together. No, that's why everyone involved in this church should have that same attitude that Moses had, that we're putting the house of God together. And then, personally, we should have that same attitude in protecting our testimony, in doing what we need to do to keep spiritual upkeep of this house. If we're not doing that, that's going to fall apart real quick. Right? So, the bread represents God's presence and sustenance, And Jesus, who is the Word, remember the Word became flesh? He is our sustenance. And that's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not ever be hungry. He who believes in me will never thirst. We'll be spiritually satisfied. But here's the thing. There's an important aspect to this that we have to understand where Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where's every word that comes from the mouth of God currently in the Bible? So when we're in his presence and we're doing what we're doing today, we're receiving sustenance, food. You ever heard like, are you being fed? Because if you're a believer, a sheep of God's sheep pen, and you're not being fed by the word, you're going to die spiritually. You're not going to Die to the point where you're going to go to hell die because God's Spirit still lives in you, but you won't have an abundant, fulfilling life. You won't understand. You'll be like so out there in left field, not understanding what's going on. And the reason believers don't know what's happened to them is because we don't eat enough from the Word. So, what else happened to me when I was made holy? I am lit. Now, you can forget the double entendre there, but I am lit. Look at verses 24 through 25, where it says, Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The lampstand represented God's eternal presence, the light of his kingdom. Never go out. But what did Jesus say to you and to me? He said, you are the light of the world. You are that light. I set a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Israel was called to be this light. Isaiah prophesied, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. How does that happen? Well, you protect your testimony and you're portable and you're sharing the testimony of God inside of you with other people. And then that becomes seen and visible and people see the light of Christ. Sadly, Israel became dim and highly religious, and the light was going out. Don't let the light go out. We are the light of the world. Don't hide the light either. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So how do we become the light of the world? We accept Jesus and receive him into our life, into our heart. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So you don't know this oftentimes. People aren't going to walk up to you and go, man, you are lit. Hopefully not. But they should see a difference. They should see a difference in you. You know, we're going to have two series on Christmas, and we're going to talk about the light and how important the light of Christmas is. Because here's the thing. Colossians 1 says, for he rescued us from the Kingdom of darkness, and then transferred us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. So, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, you're lit because you have forgiveness, and you're not the old person anymore. You are a lighted new creature in Christ. Next, in a similar vein, I am fragrant. I am fragrant. Verses 26 through 27. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil and he burned fragrant incense on it just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So This is the altar of incense, which the incense represented what? The prayers of the people. In Revelation 8, 4, it says the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God's from the angel's hands. So the priests would have constant incense as a symbol of prayer. And then 2 Corinthians 2.15, read this with me. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So our testimony is fragrant. Some people will accept it. Other people will reject it. But we can't control that. We are fragrant. We should smell different than the world. The world stinks, literally, And spiritually, we don't. We are fragrant. It's a good fragrance before the Lord, and it's to draw people to the Lord. So it smells good. Next, I have access. I can enter God's presence and all his holiness. Verses 28 through 29, it says, Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the meeting. And he offered on it the burnt offering, the meal offering, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. we're talking now, we're getting closer into the Holy of Holies. There was a thick veil between the outer area there and then the inner court or the inner room, the Holy of Holies. And what is that symbolizing? Well, in Isaiah, it says, our sins have separated us from God. Our sins have hidden his face from us so that he will no longer hear So that veil was a symbol of that separateness being separated from God. What if that was forever? Like, we were always that way. Wouldn't that be depressing? We would always have this veil. You'd have to be like the most holy or the religious person or a high priest. Something that's the only way you could get in there. Otherwise, you would just be dead on the spot, singed, because God's so holy. That's how people live, sadly. Now, we don't know the actual thickness of the veil. Some people think it's a certain amount. In the Bible, it really doesn't say. It doesn't give the exact thickness of the veil. But it had to be thick enough to do its job, which would be like, oh, I accidentally you know, walked through this thin little curtain and I'm in God's presence and now I'm dead. There had to be some thickness to it. You weren't able to see through it. And the high priest could enter that once a year, but not without blood as a payment. This was not, you know, let's go into the photo booth and do selfies. So this is why when Jesus stated this, that this one verse I think gives people brain damage because they can't believe that there's only one way to heaven. But when Jesus said, I am the way, he say, I am the access door. I am the gate. Now, either Jesus is a lunatic, or he's a liar, or he is the Lord. You can't just ignore it. You can reject it. But if Jesus says, I am the only way, I am the only truth, I am the only life, and then he adds on, no one comes to the Father but through me. That's very exclusive. But that's how it has to be. And no one can just like, oh, yeah, I don't believe in you, but I'm just going to walk into the Holy of Holies. That's not how it works. So Jesus says that while he's alive. And then he, he's dying on the cross for us. And in Mark 15, Jesus utters his last breath. He takes his last breath. He dies. And what happens? The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which signifies who tore it, God. And then when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed the last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God, because God's testimony went forth through Jesus' death. And this event was so dramatic that it shook the world in Matthew 27, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. That barrier no longer exists for those who believe. Ephesians 3.12 In Him and through faith in Him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Thank God. Can you imagine always being concerned about whether you were good enough to enter into God's presence? Sadly, a lot of people live that way. Christians. But let's not take it for granted either. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace in time of need. Who needs mercy and grace in time of need? Everyone. Finally, I am holy because I am washed clean by the blood of Christ. 30 through 33 says he placed the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing from it. Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Moses finished setting up the tabernacle. That was a huge part of his job. But guess who finished the work entirely? Jesus. When he breathed his last and he died on the cross, all the sins of the world could be now forgiven because you can only be forgiven with a blood payment. You can only enter the Holy of Holies with blood. Someone has to die to make you holy. Jesus died and resurrected. And therefore, we are holy. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So quit living like you're not. You are born again. The light came on and You have a testimony that lives inside of you, and His name is Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So we are born from above. We're going to end with the finding yourself in the story, and we're going to see this last part, the biggest mic drop ever in the history of the world, God shows up. I want to read this verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, because it's important to understand who you now are. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So if you've taken this ride and journey through Exodus, you have seen that God is very meticulous and he's very detailed and he gives detailed instructions to Moses. And Israel failed many times, but here they are. They finally got the place right. Remember, they used a lot of the gold they were supposed to use for adorning some fake cow and fake worship and all this fake stuff. But now they're on the verge of God's presence coming into the tabernacle. And God would always be with them through cloud by day, fire by night. And he would always lead them. And that word tabernacle in Hebrew, mishkan, literally means dwelling place or residence. So here's what I want you to know and want you to understand and comprehend, not just in your head, but in your heart. You are God's dwelling place. That's amazing. We need to believe this and live like this. So the tabernacle is finished, God's dwelling place, and... To specification, so God finds it good enough for him now to enter. And God's glory covers me. God's glory covers me. Just like it covered the dwelling place in Israel, the tabernacle, God's glory covers me. So Exodus now ends with one of the grandest theophanies in Scripture. In verse 34, it starts out with, Then, what's the premise that happened? Moses finished the work. Then... The cloud covered the tabernacle. Remember the cloud, the cloud would lead them, but it was distant. Now it's covering the tabernacle. The cloud was God's daily presence, because in Exodus 13, it says, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. It also represented God's glory. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Do you know that this same type of presence, a manifestation of God's presence showed up in the New Testament when Jesus went up the mountain with his three disciples and says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well please listen to him. And do you know that when Jesus comes back, he will come back in the clouds with great power. The clouds represent God's presence. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, they're talking about Israel, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized or united into Moses, into the cloud and the sea, into God's presence. We are baptized and united into Christ, into the presence of God. God's glory like clouds leads me and covers me. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. There's degrees of glory. We have all of God's presence. But one day our body will be glorified and be new. And then we will be fully glorified as Jesus is. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit, and one day we'll be with him on his mountain in his presence face to face. Next, God's glory fills me. God's glory fills me. In uh, verses 34 through 35, the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It says that twice because God's glory is exactly that. It's heavy, it's weighty, it's extravagant. When God shows up, the atmosphere changes and they couldn't even do anything. They couldn't even enter because of God's glory. Guess what? We are filled with God's glory. That's why Jesus said on the last day of the great feast, He cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit has not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We should be extremely grateful that Jesus didn't stay here. Because if he stayed here, his presence would not manifest as the Holy Spirit inside and dwelling in the tabernacle of the believer. He had to go to the Father. That's why he said to his disciples, I know you're sad that I'm leaving you, but it's for your benefit that I go. If I don't go, you're going to be walking aimlessly and God's glory is not going to be in his house. And then, at last, God's glory leads me. Thank the Lord that we have a guiding light. Exodus 36-38, throughout all their journeys, Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. There was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So that's how God chose to lead his people. Nehemiah nine nineteen says you and your great compassion Yahweh did not forsake them in the wilderness the pillar of the cloud did not leave them to guide them on their way nor the pillar of fire by night to light them in which way to go and what does the Bible say about God's word it is a light to our feet problems with clouds though they often hide the view of the sun and we only see a shadow so that's why Paul writes for now we see in a mirror dimly But one day, face to face, now I know in part because God's glory lives in me, but one day I will be fully glorified and fully known, just as Jesus is. Now we have someone who leads us, who is not hidden by a cloud, not hard to understand, but someone who's in our hearts. And that's why Jesus said, But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you into all the truth for he doesn't speak anything but truth because he doesn't speak even on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he speaks. He speaks the words of Christ and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he testifies to Christ, to the world through you. What if you lived your life like you knew where you were going? No more wandering. where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? You know, because God's spirit lives in you and you have his word, what the next thing to do is. There's no confusion. And instead, you realize how good God is, that he would go to such extreme so that his presence would be in some way off tabernacle, but his presence would be intimately in your life the residence, the dwelling place. I want us to close this sermon and this series by singing a song about this. It's actually a song that was written about Isaiah's vision. And let's stand and sing and let's worship him and remember that his presence is here with us and in us.
2: I see the Lord Seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory.
1: this morning they had those strings on the ground there and they had a bunch of stuff on the stage and uh, because they're doing some kind of play the school is and we left that there and the more I thought about it and so I think someone said that I think it's for some people to come forward and give their lives to Christ and I don't care you've probably given your life to Christ but you need to rededicate your life to Christ this morning and I want you to come come to the front to the altar leave Oh new creation in Christ. By his Holy Spirit, we are made new. We are born from above. We're no longer dead in our sins. We are alive in Christ and we walk in the light as you are in the light. And we have your testimony inside the ark of the covenant which is in us by the new covenant paid for the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Lord.
2: The glory fills the house of the Lord. The glory fills the house of the Lord. The
1: glory fills the house of the Lord. Just open up and praise the Lord outright. Just give him a praise offering right now. direct access Lord may we not hold back may we approach the throne of grace with confidence Lord you don't make mistakes and you don't dwell in unholy vessels thank you Lord that your forgiveness covers all our sins and the glory fills the house of the Lord say that That house and in here, right? Personally and corporately. You right now. He's healed you totally, but he's healing you physically. He's healing of you. All those lies that you used to believe. He's saying you don't have to believe those anymore. You're free. You're released. You're holy. God's glory fills the house
2: of the Lord.
0: Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amazing.